Welcome to the Focus Church Teachings Podcast. We hope this brings a lot of encouragement to you, but we also want you to know that we believe discipleship doesn't occur here, but occurs in small groups where people share their gifts with each other in many-to-many discipleship. If you want to know more about that, stick around after the teaching. I knew it. I knew it. How could you not? Jesus? Alive? Of course it was a hoax, like all of the other hoaxes before. I knew it. I knew this was no good. This man was no good. Another in a long line of completely blasphemous and false messiahs leading, leading the poor people astray. And now I watch these crazy, crazy, radical heretics as Peter, James, John, saying that Jesus was alive? Of course he wasn't alive. But I knew, I knew that other people thought he was. I knew that other people believed he was because they had believed anything he told them. People who claimed these miracles that obviously had never happened. His followers who just believed so many things, as so many before them had believed so many false messiahs. But not me. I was too smart. I was too focused, too determined, too righteous, frankly. Getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. My parents were great people. They were solid and honorable, and they knew the law, and they wanted to raise me without missing a step. They wanted me to be the Hebrew of Hebrews. So they even named me after the most prominent member of our tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. They named me after the first king of Israel, also of Benjamin, Saul. Saul was a great man, destined to do great things, but Saul also forgot himself. Saul was distracted by power. I wanted to be also a great man doing great things, but I determined I would never, ever be distracted by anything. I knew the truth. My parents raised me. They circumcised me on the eighth day according to the law. They raised me according to the law. By the time I was 12, I knew the Pentateuch. I mean, I knew the Pentateuch. I could recite it. I could tell you every story and every moment. I knew the arguments that were made among the teachers and the leaders. I knew what it was about, and the law was my guide. And I was determined to never misstep. And I believe I never did. Even among our leaders, my peers, members of the Sanhedrin, even among the priesthood, it was clear that some were distracted by power, as Saul had been. Corruption had entered their midst. 
too easily led astray, but not me. I was too smart, too focused, too determined and righteous. As I got older, I was recognized for my astuteness, and so my parents sent me to the best teacher to become a disciple of Gamaliel. And I went to Gamaliel, and Gamaliel didn't accept very many students. But he accepted me, and he taught me. And he taught me things of the law I never even considered. And he taught me things in the scripture I hadn't even seen, but he also taught me how to argue. He taught me how to bring down those heretics with words. But he taught me something else. He taught me that in the law, if you don't care for people, you aren't truly following the law. It's true. It's true. I saw that. I saw that my scorn for the people, the commoners who were so often led astray, needed to be replaced with compassion because it wasn't their fault. They were sheep. They had no shepherd. The shepherds they had were too distracted, so of course they were easily led astray. They needed a protector, Gamaliel told me, someone to stand between them and the false teachings that were rampant among all the Jewish world at that time. And I determined I would be that protector. I would stand between those common men and all these false messiahs that claimed to lead them, but only led them down the path of destruction. But now I had more fire for my determination as I learned to actually care about the people. As I heard the stories about Jesus, I just got more and more infuriated because people were listening to him and believing him. And But, but he didn't know the law as I knew the law. A Messiah would never break the law, but from what I'd heard, he broke the law on many occasions. He seemed to have very little regard for the Sabbath. He made claims of authority that seemed completely out of bounds. But I didn't realize that it would get worse after he died. Somehow, after he died, these followers became even more devoted. They became more radicalized. They became more convinced he was alive. And for the life of me, I could not figure out what this benefited them. Why would they perpetuate such a lie? Did they hate their fellow Israelite Hebrew brethren and sisters so much that they would perpetuate what they knew to be false? The anger was always just, just below the surface for me. It was always there, and I knew more had to be done. Something had to be done. One day, I remember I came upon a young man, and he was preaching, and there was a crowd around him, and there were several of my fellow, my peers, leaders, members of the Sanhedrin even, who were watching him from a distance, and he was preaching of this Jesus, speaking of his, of his messianic role. And then this man, Stephen, I don't know what possessed him, but he began to rail against my friends. He turned to those in the Sanhedrin, and perhaps even to me, and he said, you stiff-necked people. You were uncircumcised of heart and ears, he said to them. He said, tell me of a prophet you did not kill. 
And now you have killed the blessed one who came for the redemption of sins. And my anger boiled up inside of me and I was furious. Furious on behalf of my friends in the Sanhedrin, but I did not think it was my place. But I understood. And so when they cast off their cloaks in anger, in dismay, and they cast them at my feet and they ran after Stephen, I nodded in approval. I guarded their clothes and I watched, assuming they went to imprison to bind him, to take him, take him to trial at the Sanhedrin. But when they didn't do that, but instead executed him on the spot, I realized it was right. And I approved. Stephen stood in the moments before his death and he said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of God. What blasphemy. What a heretic. I was sure he deserved what he got. But I thought about my role at that moment. I thought about how I had stood back, how I had stayed with the cloaks, not rushed in, not been part of it. And I determined I would not let a moment pass. And I went to the high priest. I went to the priest and I got the authority I needed. I got a letter of commendation telling that I could go from synagogue to synagogue across Jerusalem and beyond to find these followers of Jesus, capture them, imprison them, and torture them if necessary to find out where these disciples and apostles were. And I went from house to house, and I dragged people out. I was zealous. I was focused. I was determined. I was smart. And I was righteous. And then... As I traveled on the road to Damascus, continuing my mission, preserving the true God's reputation from the blasphemous Jesus, as I continued in my zeal, confident in my determination to protect my fellow brothers and sisters from being led astray, suddenly there was a bright light, and I looked, and as I looked into the light, immediately blinded but as I was blinded I knew that I had seen the face of God and I wondered that I was still alive because I knew that the glory of God was not man's to behold and as I sat there on the ground eyes filled with darkness I heard a voice and the voice said Saul Saul why do you Persecute me. I didn't understand. I'm not persecuting you, Lord. I am defending you. I said, who are you? And the voice said, I am the Lord Jesus, whom you persecute. Why do you make everything so hard on yourself, Saul? Why do you resist me? How could I have missed it? <clears throat> How could I have been so wrong? As I sat there in the dirt, unseeing, waiting for the death I knew I deserved, I was nothing. I had been nothing. I had fought the very God I thought I was serving. I had destroyed the very people I was sworn to protect. 
how had I been so wrong? Me. I knew the law. I knew my God. How could I have missed it? My fellow servants became concerned about my state as I sat unmoving in the dirt, unseeing. And I felt them grab my hands and raise me up. And I felt them lead me by the hands down the street. And we walked, I don't know how long. And I didn't care. And they asked me with questions. They asked me questions and I refused to answer. Because I had nothing to give. I had no truth left. After some time, we entered a house and they sat me in the house. And I sat in this house, unseeing, staring into the void for I don't know how long. At times, people would bring me food and I would eat it. And occasionally, they would ask me how I was. And all I could do was say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Oh. After some time, a man came. They told me his name was Ananias, and when I heard his name, I trembled. I knew an Ananias. He was on my list. He was one I had been coming to see, a man who followed Jesus. And here I was, vulnerable to whatever he wished to do to me. He no doubt knew of me, and I deserved everything he would give me. And Ananias came in, and he sat down, and I heard him say, Brother Saul, brother. He called me brother. Brother Saul, Jesus, whom you met on the road, has sent me to you to give you your sight. And to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the tears which fell down my face of dismay and wonder. As he called me Brother Saul. As the tears fell, it was as if scales fell from my eyes as well. And I could see. And they asked Ananias, what day is it? And as he told me of the day, I realized it was three days I had been blind. And in a moment, I understood three days in the dark for me to remind me of the three days that Jesus was in the dark that I so scorned, that I had thought so little of. But also as Jesus was raised to life on the third, so God was resurrecting me to a new life, a new sight. And I realized at that moment how I had missed him. I realized at that moment how I had been so wrong. You see, I had been too focused. I had been too determined. I had been too smart. I had been too righteous to believe for a moment that I even needed a Messiah. That I needed a Savior. I had seen everyone else as the great sinners in need of a shepherd, and I saw myself as that shepherd. And I now realize that I was lost, and I needed a shepherd. 
You know, as time went on, I found myself with the apostles' blessing bringing the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, the Hebrew of Hebrews. And here I was on ministry to the Gentiles. And I found I was more comfortable. I had already so let down my own brethren. And I could relate to the Gentiles because I now saw that I was as lost as any of them. My self-righteousness was perhaps greater than their own. As I spent so much time with the Gentiles and in Roman territory, they began to call me by the Roman derivation of my name, which is Paul. And I liked that. And I owned it. Because once when I had been Saul, seeking to be a great man, I was now Paul. And Paul is a word which means small. It means little. And it seemed right that God should remind me that I was small, not because I deserved nothing, but because I deserved nothing more than anyone else. Not because he wanted me to think of myself unable to fulfill the mission he'd given me, for he enabled me to do a great mission. But because he wanted me to see the burden that being big had been in my life. The burden of being focused and determined and always having the right answers and always being righteous enough. Doing it the right way. Always being on top of it. Making sure not to miss a step. My parents meant well. But they had taught me this was what life meant was to be big and live big. And what Jesus taught me is that life is to recognize our inability to be smart enough, to be good enough. And further, I've learned that I will seek glory. I will reach the Lord, and I will see him face to face, and I will not die. And the reason this will be is not because I am so good, because I am so smart, it will not be my determination. It will not be my lack of distraction that gets me there. On the contrary, it is because the God who promises that for me, he is too determined, too focused, too smart, and too righteous. Most churches believe in the value of small groups, but at Focus Church, we are so convinced that's where the discipleship happens that we put all of our resources, our training, and our assessment into the focus groups. And we believe that you can be part of a focus group from anywhere in the country. So if you'd like to join us, just email me at pastormac, M-A-C, underscore at mac.com. And I'd love to tell you how you can be part of it. Either way, I hope this has been encouragement to you, and we'll see you here again next week.